today on Ag News Daily. There's definitely a bullish tendency on the short term. However, the further into spring or into early summer you start to talk to people, the more a looming price cliff starts to come into focus. Welcome back, listeners, to Leap Day. Why do they call it a leap year? Is it just the year mm. that the day is in? But I don't know much about how that works. Today is you. Leap Day, February 29th. We only get to say this once every four years, Delaney. That's true. This will be the first time that I've got to say that while working with you. And sitting next to me physically right. today. That's I was right. thinking about that this morning, Tanner. And uh, I know our listeners can't see you as we're recording the podcast today, but you're wearing quite the interesting shirt today. Yeah, in support of Trademutt, an Australian mental health organization, I am wearing the Austin Flowers. It's a very florally, paisley shirt today. But you yourself look very bright. Well, you told me you were wearing a flower shirt, so then I thought I better wear mine <laughs> so we, we you coordinate. Went out. But did we really you go out to buy clash. it? Yeah, we do, we we, do we clash. We clash a lot. But the yes. other thing I was thinking about this morning is... This is your two-year anniversary with the podcast. Oh, that's right. It did start at Commodity Classic, didn't it? It did. Two years ago, I think. Well, no wonder I enjoy this show so much. Well, that's Yeah, I was thinking about that this morning. <laughs> that so happy is, two-year anniversary. Well, thank you. And uh, that means I should be getting a present, right? Yeah, we can swap the Valentine's Day microphone that you owe me <coughs> for your two-year anniversary yeah, present. Yeah, I forgot all about that. I'm really good <laughs> at gifts. Well, at least we can give our listeners a gift of some news and headlines this morning. We still have weather that is looming across much of the nation in some extreme forms. Red flag warnings are in effect for parts of Nebraska and Iowa. Extremely dry weather, low relative humidity, and wind gusts of up to 45 miles per hour. Any fires that ignite will spread rapidly. And unfortunately, our friends in the Texas Panhandle have some of that experience. But they may get a little bit of relief this evening as light rain and snow is forecasted in the area today and into tonight. But only about a half of an inch of accumulation. And uh, we hope that that slows down some of the fire conditions that I'll report on here in a little bit. But that's about the weather headlines that I came across this morning. Well, yeah, I wanted to dive into the Texas wildfire headlines because I don't think our listeners, and myself included, realize how bad those storms are right now. Uh, past intern of the podcast, we have a lot of interns that have come to us from Texas, and so a few of them have actually reached out, Tanner, just to share how devastating things are looking back in their home state of Texas. And we're working on scheduling an interview right now with a couple of Texas folks. So hopefully early next week, assuming their schedules allow, we'll be able to get some of those folks on the podcast. But it sounds like nearly 1 million acres so far have been impacted by wildfires in some capacity. Of course, a lot of those acres also have pasture ground and livestock on there as well. And this is the second largest wildfire in texas history that's a pretty big fire especially when you're talking some of the records that have been set but yes there's the tscra president texas southwestern cattle raisers association says that there is going to need to be federal assistance whether it is through financial or through our listeners and those that can donate through their disaster relief fund. That is a 501c3, so it is a tax-deductible donation. As of Wednesday morning, the behavior had moderated a little bit on this fire. The decreased winds are helping firefighters be able to try and contain it just a little bit. But unfortunately, uh, 
60% contained is about the largest containment that they have as far as getting these fires under control. And there are quite a few of relief efforts going on right now. So if any of our listeners would like to get involved, Texas A&M is currently accepting donations of hay, feed, fencing supplies, cow feed, and milk replacer to support livestock owners that are going through this right now. Texas A&M AgriLife Extension Service is who you can reach out to. Tanner, as you mentioned, the Texas and Southwestern Cattle Raisers Association is also urging some disaster relief funds if you have monetary donations to support to their nonprofit there in the are going straight to producers affected by those wildfires as well. So our thoughts and prayers certainly go out to those folks. Absolutely. But as we sit down here in the largest booth that has ever been put together at a Commodity Classic, the John Deere booth, they have several new releases that they are featuring here in a football field-sized booth, Delaney. I've been on a football field, and this feels bigger than a football field. I don't think Brock Purdy could throw a football from one end to the other. Well, I heard rumors that he was going to allegedly show up, but I think he was doing maybe some John Deere commercials last week. So I don't know that he'll be here, but that would certainly be fun. to. Well, if if so, I'm going to find a football and we're going to try throwing it across these displays. But what they unveiled here is their new 7 S7 series combine available in the 600, 700, 800, and 900 uh, power range especially with their autonomy. Their Gen 2 9.0 liter option, as well as a 13.6 power liter power option, provides a 20% production boost as far as productivity goes in the field. But what is new is their predictive ground speed automation. They can tell the denseness of the crop that is ahead of your harvesting for you to be able to adjust on the go autonomously your speed and throughput to make sure that your combine is always running at max capacity. They also unveiled their 9RX 2025 model series, 710, 770, and 830 horsepower motors. This is a ground-up redesign of their quad track tractors. You mix the increased power Delaney with the comfortability and the smoothness of their operation centers. And John Deere has a brand new product to offer their customers in the form of this tractor. It does weigh, talking to the employees here in the booth, 83,000 pounds. So it certainly has good uh, ground contact just due to the sheer weight of the machine. But the biggest thing is it doesn't have def because of a loophole in being more than 750 horsepower. Also sitting right in front of us is a Hagee sprayer that has the sea and spray technology straight from the factory on its boom. So that is one of their innovations that has come out. And lastly, their 2025 class is their 850 bushel cart for those that are applying fertilizer and small grains the largest air seeder on the market. So you take that large cart, Delaney, and you put it behind the largest tractor on the market, and it seems like a good pair. I was told by my husband to send lots of videos of the new combine because he is curious to see just how big and impressive it is. And I think a lot of other farmers I've seen this week are certainly stopping by the big John Deere booth to take a look at all of the cool things they've got this week. Yes, there's been lots of traffic, that's for sure. There certainly has, but there has been a couple of other big announcements here down at Commodity Classic, and I'm sure we'll have more to share with our listeners tomorrow of other companies launching some big announcements down here at Commodity Classic. Corteva and Pioneer have a couple of big ones here hitting the headlines this morning. Building on 50 years of innovation in their soybean research, Pioneer has 
now officially launched to farmers their new Z-Series soybeans. The Z-Series is really kind of that next generation of soybeans, which will eventually replace their A-Series tanner. But they're making some big claims with the amount of disease that it impacts. It's really going to target white mold, peaking SEN. And most importantly to farmers, it's going to get up to a 2.7 bushel per acre more yield than what we saw with the A-Series. So they're certainly excited to roll that out this week. And I know we'll be having some conversations with them here in the very near future about that. They've got farmers covered from A to Z. That's right. That's good. Maybe you should tell them that as their headline, their slogan. You yeah, should coin should, that for A them. new profession, slogan writer. That's right. I like it. They also announced this week that they have launched a new herbicide, Inversa, which is a new versatile solution that has received EPA approval that will handle some of the toughest, hard-to-control broadleaf and grass weeds that farmers face today. So certainly a lot of products and announcements down here. One more I'll mention here is the American is the American Soy American Seed Trade Association has boots on the ground for Commodity Classic down here, and they have issued a new announcement this morning on a USDA Climate Smart Commodities Partnership. They said that from some survey results with participants, more than 10.5 million new cover crop acres will be added as a result of some of this latest federal funding. And a lot of growers have been open to trying cover crop practices, especially with some of these new programs we've seen rolled out here by the USDA and the Biden administration. Yeah, and there is certainly a little focus on making sure that those programs stay in place because a press release coming out of the Senate Agricultural Committee, Chairwoman Debbie Stabenow said that she would delay the new farm bill, which is already five months overdue, rather than accept cuts to SNAP and climate funds that are currently being sought by Republicans. Senate Chairwoman our Agricultural Committee chairwoman said that the delay is nothing that we wouldn't have expected with it already being five months past due. Tell you what, if we get to the end of the year and instead of an arm, a farm bill, I have protected nutrition for children and families in this country. I am okay with that. To be tough is the nature of that, what is expected of me as a congresswoman. So there are four corners of the farm bill, according to her. And her house or her agricultural committee stated that it has been at an impasse for months because of disputes over crop subsidy spending, SNAP, and climate funds. Republicans are wanting to increase reference prices, making it easier to trigger a crop subsidy payment, which would use funds from the climate funds to pay for it. They want to eliminate a provision that would be a review every five years for the thrifty food plan. So quite an interesting debate that is happening right now. But again, another delay to the farm bill. My last bit of headlines is just Russia-Ukraine headlines. Putin announced yesterday in response to the EU talking about sending potential troops, said if the West sends troops to the war in Ukraine, it could lead to nuclear war. There is a breakaway happening in the region of Europe that is asking Russia for protection now that this has become uh, a potential issue. The Pentagon is still considering 
tapping into its last source of Ukraine military funds as Congress is stalling additional aid packages. North Korean factories are making arms for Russia, and they are operating at full capacity. So it'll be interesting to see where things head from here. But that wraps up my headlines for today. Well, as we look at a few final headlines here, wrapping up our news segment and into the markets, ethanol production fell to three-week lows here, lowest levels, while stocks did jump to multi-month highs to end the seven days here in February. We also saw here in the overnight markets, soybean futures were trading lower as Brazil's harvest is continuing to roll on and bring fresh supplies to the markets, Tanner. But as we take a look here right at the opening morning session, Corn futures are unchanged in the March contract at 413 and a quarter. March soybeans down 13 cents at 1121. In the wheat contracts this morning, March is up two pennies at 573. Hard red March winter wheat up a penny and a half at 597. And March spring wheat down two and three quarters cents at 649. Taking a look at the livestock markets here this morning and where they are opening on the board. As we take a look at April live cattle, they're down 87 and a half cents at a buck 85.27 and a half. March feeder cattle down 57 and a half at 249.02. And April lean hogs are up 10 cents on the board at 86.07 and a half. Tanner, for today's conversation, we're chatting with Josh Linville to talk all things fertilizer. Well, we are catching up with Josh Linville, the Vice President of Fertilizer for StoneX. Josh, thanks for joining us. Absolutely. Hey, you have in the middle of the John Deere area, you're going to get me here pretty easily. It's exciting this week being here at Commodity Classic. There's a lot of new things unveiling, but we wanted to bring it back home for the producers to talk a little bit about fertilizer with you because there have been so many updates you've been sharing with uh, with folks through your media list and wanted to get a deep dive with you of all the things going on right now as we head into planting season. Yeah, it's, you know, it's one of those things It's where do you want to start? Do you want to start internationally? Do you want to start with the early spring here or maybe the big fall run? It's, there's a lot of stuff that's going on in the world of fertilizer. It's tremendously slower than what it's been the last three years, but still plenty of issues that are facing us today. So let's start globally and work our way back home. So what are we seeing around the world that's going to put pressure on it this spring? There are three main events that I'm watching right now. Uh, number one is the one that's right in our face, and that's the Red Sea, these Houthi rebel attacks. And a lot of folks sit there and try and say, well, it's not that big of a deal. Well, the most recent vessel that was attacked, it was a fertilizer vessel. that originated from Saudi Arabia. The crew had to abandon ship, leave it sinking. And so this is very much something that's affecting global trade patterns. Any fertilizer that's coming from the Middle East, coming to the West, whether that be South or North America, now is probably going to make the decision we're going to go south around africa that's two more uh, weeks of sale time that is additional freight cost so that's the biggest one in our face but at least there's an option to get away from it number two is the middle east uh we're watching the persian gulf very very closely uh of course watching iran and you remember back during the persian gulf war iraq was the worry they're going to attack ships and iraq is on the very top end of the persian gulf a very tiny sliver of coastline iran is the entire eastern seaborne so we have to watch that. That's millions upon millions of tons of urea per year that leaves that area. And of course, Russia, uh, they're back in the news with the uh, political assassination. Some speculation fertilizer sanctions could be in place. I doubt that that happens, but if it did, they were a major provider of all three major inputs. 
Josh, I want to go back to what you mentioned about the shipping costs now versus what it was prior to the Houthi rebel attack. Mm -hmm. So an additional time, obviously, to go around the bottom tip of Africa. But what is the difference in, in shipping costs that we're seeing now compared to what it was prior to these attacks? It's going to depend on your origin point where you're going to, obviously speaking. But, you know, for a lot of it coming to the U.S., uh, most people are putting the additional freight at 15 to $20 a ton. It's significant. But with us being this close to spring season, it's one of those things that's like, listen, the cost we can recoup, the cost we can move that along the industry. It, the two weeks, that's huge. I mean, you've got spring right around the corner. And for a lot of folks, spring isn't around the corner. Spring is here. Yeah, so let's hit on that because you teased us and now you brought in a great transition. What effects does an early spring have on prices? Unfortunately, this is a story we got to start talking about the fall run tremendously large fall run. We started on time. Farmers hit it out of the park. Mother Nature was very nice to us this cycle. We ended up running clear until about mid-December. And we emptied inventories on anhydrous, phosphate, and potash. And we started talking a lot at that point saying, listen, if we start normally in spring, it's going to be very hard to get refilled. That's only 90 days. That's three months. We didn't get 90 days. We got 60 days. Much of the Midwest started up middle of February. That means 60 days, two months is not enough time to refill the system. Now we're scrambling and we're playing catch up. When you look at, you know, this past harvest season that we had, a lot of folks are doing some fall application. Maybe they're doing some spring application. How much of the field work did we actually see get done this fall because we had such a good harvest season versus what still needs to be left to be done this spring? I would say we probably stole some spring demand. I think that we did pull a little bit of that ahead. Farmers got done with what they wanted to get done. The forecast still stayed very good. And like, well, everything's already hot and running. Everything's, you know, in one piece. Let's go ahead and hit a few more fields. So I do believe that we pulled a little bit of that spring, but there's still a tremendous amount done. And hydrous is a great way to look at. We originally go into it with a 2 million ton fall application, 2 million ton spring application. We moved our fall number up to about 2.3 million. We have it as the third largest fall run going back to the year 2000. Doing that, we moved our spring number from 2 million down to 1.8. So yeah, that number is lower, but there's still a lot of field work left to be done. So what's the alternative if these supplies aren't keeping up? Unfortunately, it turns into a little bit of an auction. Um, it's who wants to pay the most to get that load in time. And for those that don't want to, it's we'll get the product there. The system always does a great job of moving fertilizer where it needs to go. It may not be there tomorrow. It may be the next day, next week, couple weeks. What does that mean then for prices and the outlook we have? I know there's a lot of different eight major fertilizers, right? So <laughs> it's hard maybe to talk about each one individually, but you mentioned we need 90 days to refill the tanks and we've only had 60. So what are we gonna see here price-wise? I think we're gonna see a little bit of strength. And we've actually seen that on the paper markets and future markets, and we're seeing that on the physical side as well. Um, phosphate is seeing it. Uh, those prices are up significantly. Urea here in the last few days has started to spike up. Potash has been relatively quiet, uh, but UAN and Hydrus, both of those are now starting to move up higher. So there's definitely a bullish tendency on the short term. However, the further into spring or into early summer you start to talk to people, the more a looming price cliff starts to come into focus. Corn has given up a lot of value. You know, December 24 corn had been 510, 525. Here recently it dipped down to what I believe is 445, and all of a sudden it has rallied to 460. 460 doesn't feel very good for a lot of acres out there, and that's going to have a lot of people very reluctant to buy fertilizer this summer. That was one of my questions, was going to be how does the commodity price going to affect growers' decision-making come spring? Unfortunately, when it comes to spring, you've got to do what you got to do, right? It, it's just the price is what the price is. Now, I will say we've been having a lot of conversations with the fringe acres, and 
I, I want to back up and fringe acre. I'm not trying to put that down or anything, but what I call a fringe acre is that acre that wasn't corn prior to the ethanol boom. The fringe acre is what took us from 78 to 90 plus million acres of corn. A lot of folks like to look at the farmer economics in the corn belt. And I sit there and kind of chuckle a little bit and say, I don't care about them. Well, some of the best farm ground in the world. You're absolutely right that it is. But it's the fringe acre that's going to determine, are we 90, 92, 94, 96? And those guys are squawking. They are sitting there saying, our economics don't make sense in 2024. I may, to your point, I might have to look at something different, beans, wheat, cotton, anything else that's not as input uh, heavy as corn is. Well, we've certainly seen the price ratios, too, certainly favoring soybeans at this time. Mm -hmm. But it seems like Tanner and the growers we've talked to, most of them are sticking to their normal rotation this year, regardless of what's happening with prices. Yeah, and I would say in the short amount of time at the Commodity Classic, I've talked to growers that are looking to stick to a very similar plan, but even heard more corn-on-corn opportunities, which is interesting because it's not the cheapest alternative when you look at prices. Yeah, and that's the thing. You start talking about corn on corn, it's even more input, uh, you know, heavy. And so it's always interesting. But again, I think it's one of those things we have to remember. We're not even March yet. There's a lot of time before we start putting seed in the ground. There's a lot of things we can talk about, discuss. We haven't actually hit the rubber on the road just yet. A lot of decisions can still be changed. Uh, a person is sitting there saying, I might go more soybeans. Well, what happens if soybean prices go down or corn does rally? Right. You can make those last-minute decisions. So we're not quite married to oh, this is going to happen or that's going to happen, but you kind of just kind of go with the wind and follow it where it might go. So if we look more long-term in a year of an election, has there ever been a tie to an election year in fertilizer markets, or is that more tied to trade relations? I think it's more to do with trade. And unfortunately, it's one of those things. I don't believe that Washington, D.C. even knows what fertilizer is. <laughs> they know what fertilizer is, but maybe not the kind <laughs> we talk about. <laughs> But no, it's one of those things that's really rarely brought up in D.C., so I don't think it's something. They'd be more concerned with the grain price than they would an input price. Josh, the other thing I wanted to impact just a little bit with you is we've certainly been talking a lot about and watching barge traffic, water levels in the Panama Canal and, and here in the United States as well. And it seems like just recently we reported on the Army Corps of Engineers saying, hey, the drought is officially over. Shipments should get back to somewhat regular levels. How is that going to play out here for the fertilizer market? And so I agree but a little bit disagree. Okay. I, I agree that things have improved significantly, and they're right. It's The soil moisture, things like that, is much, much better than what it was. And a lot of the area, when you look at the drought maps, are doing so much better than what they were. The thing that still concerns me, though, uh, last spring, we going into last spring, we went from very low water levels to flooding. We had tremendous snowpack in the north, and it all melted within like two days because yeah. it went from 20 to 80 degrees. We don't have this this year. You talk to the folks up north, they haven't been able to go ice fishing. They haven't had, been able to go snowmobiling, mm-hmm. snowshoeing, do all the fun sports they like to do because winter just never truly occurred. That's something that has me a little bit concerned is that we don't have that snowpack. We don't have that moisture that's sitting there waiting to feed the channels. It doesn't mean that we're going to have problems. It just means that we're closer to that cliff of it having problems if we don't have regular you know, rainfall moisture events throughout the U.S. And that, that's another one of those things that has been brought up here at Commodity a couple of times as well, is the very mild winter that we had mm-hmm. for that fall applied nitrogen. Mm-hmm. You know, if it wasn't accompanied with a stabilizer, are they going to have to apply extra units in a side dress fashion or in the spring yep. for what they think might have escaped? 
Right, and that's a question that's been coming up to us quite a bit, and it's something I turn it back to them and say that's a conversation for your you know to have with your retailer. That's unfortunately, you know, you talk about the free salt cycles. We haven't had those this year. You should speak with your retailer about what that could mean because they know your area. What about the fertilizer? Well, you should talk to them because they've been watching it there on the local level. Unfortunately, from our side, I'm talking across a wide audience. It's very hard to dial into one area. They have that expertise, and that's why having that conversation, that relationship with that supplier is so, so important this year above any others. I'm just always so amazed at how into the weeds you can get with all of the different fertilizer topics, and I'm like, how does how do you keep this all straight? It's I'm always impressed. I don't have many hobbies. <laughs> <laughs> fertilizer, fertilizer. That, that's hobby. my that's my hobby. It's funny because everybody when I was in college, everybody made fun. Oh, you're going into fertilizer, and last three or four years, people come. So, what's your take on this market <laughs> yeah, or that market? <laughs> exactly. So, before we wrap up, is there anything else that you think our listeners should watch for or keep an eye on as they get ready to head into this growing season? Um, it's going to be supplies. It's going to be logistics. And I cannot stress enough, speak to your supplier, whoever that retail co-op, independent, I don't care who it is. I'm not here to tell you who to do business with, but please have that conversation. And I'm not saying you have to buy it right now, but the more information you give them, the more preparation they can make to be prepared for when you do show up to make that call, make that purchase. It's going to be very, very important this season. And then going forward, we talk a lot about the inputs and the outputs, the ratio. There were some tremendous opportunities last year, last summer, last fall. A lot of those have gone away. They're kind of high priced right now. It should, I'm not one to say that as a rubber person's nose and say, oh, you should have listened to me. I knew it. I, I didn't know it. It could have gotten cheaper. But those opportunities exist. And when they do exist, it's a good time to jump on, at least for a small layer, and help protect that. Josh, before we let you go, I know you're pretty active on Twitter. Share your handle yep. with our listeners before we let you go. Yep, I need to do that. I haven't done that yet. I was on a plane this morning. Uh, yeah, you can find me at, at JLinvilleFert. Great. Well, thanks for joining us. Appreciate your time. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, guys. Thank you. What a timely conversation, Delaney. Thanks for lining that up. Listeners, thanks for listening to us. We'll be back with more great content from Commodity Classic. But for today, what do you say? Should we let the listeners go? Let's let them go.